Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Isco Munoz to my Carlos Carvajal. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? How are we doing? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm fresh off a holiday. I'm buzzing. I'm a little bit frustrated, though, because we were late to recording. Would you be willing to tell the listeners why you, you were late to, to recording this afternoon? Well, because I was brushing my teeth. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, but the, the key bit of information here is we're not recording in the afternoon. It's quarter past five. You're brushing your teeth for the first time at quarter past five, which is, uh, yeah. 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 Look, <laughs> Sundays, my routine goes completely out the window because... You just stopped back. Just stop caring about hygiene. Basically, yes. Because I've got... <laughs> So much football to catch up, on, so much football to watch that I just worry about showering and brushing my teeth later on in the day. So sometimes I'm like halfway through West Brom v Millwall and then I'll decide maybe I should just brush my teeth quickly because my mouth is honking. And that's kind of what happened today. But we're not dispelling the myth that we are just two sweaty virgins recording a podcast in our mum's bedroom, really, because that is a typical stereotype of What's what a... What's brushing your teeth got to do with virginity? Well, not much, I don't think. But at the end of the day, you know, general hygiene, everyone's got time for that, especially two minutes, which is what it takes to, to brush your teeth. Yeah, but it's... It's just something I can put off till later. West Brom v Millwall needs to happen right now. How many times do you brush your teeth a day? Um, three times at a push. Three? Yeah. Wow. I've this may be absolutely disgusting. I've always just done it once. That, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh my god. Just do, just do it once in the morning, and then I don't bother. Are you serious? Yeah. I've known you twenty-five years. <laughs> I, that is genuinely taking me aback. And the thing is, I've got a pre, pretty decent set of teeth. I've n- not been to the dentist for years. I've just never had an issue. That doesn't mean you've got a good set of teeth, does it? <laughs> well, no, no. Look, I've got a decent pair of Nash's, haven't I? I don't know. And I eat so much sugar. I drink <laughs> oh relentlessly. Oh and I still get away with it. And it's despicable, really. Once a day is disgusting. Oh, my God. I wouldn't do it if it didn't freshen up my breath. I just wouldn't bother. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a health reason to do it as well. I know. Genuinely, well, that, that's, going to shut, that's going to make a lot of listeners' jaws hit the floor. With their immaculate teeth intact. <laughs> Probably worse teeth by the sounds of it. 
<laughs> Yours a peak. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. What an intro to the number one championship podcast this has been. Uh, yes, we're here to talk about championship football. So let's talk about what has happened over the past weekend. We'll go through all the games from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days as well, do some polls, then finish off with Simon Grayson Tech for Late right at the end of the show. So we'll kick things off with El Sakiko. Swansea beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-0. Ryan's three-word review for Swansea. We actually won. And they did. They actually did win. A very important win for Michael Duff and Swansea, their first of the season. But it just compounds the misery for Sheffield Wednesday. At one stage, the Wednesday fans were chanting Isker out, as well as Chancery, get out of our club. And it feels as if we may have reached the end of the line with Isco Munoz and what a line it has been Justin big line big line they were chanting for Marvin Johnson as well which is incredible obviously he was left out of the um, the 25 man squad which is a big middle finger to Isco Munoz and, and Chancery because you know whatever the circumstances are there but it does feel like it's the end of the line although Chancery doesn't have a great track record when it comes to managers we know that Joss Luhukai stayed at the helm for far too long maybe a similar situation with Gary Monk also left Neil Thompson in interim charge for, for just over two months as well. So timing-wise, Chancery is not the best, but we're looking at results and performances. Sheffield Wednesday have been terrible, absolutely terrible under Isco Munoz. And I do feel for him to some extent, he's just not the right man for the job. But at the same time, you're well out of your depth. Uh, and surely Chancery can see this at the same time. I don't think he can because he's just not that way inclined in terms of a football brain. He genuinely doesn't have one business brain's arguable as well. Yeah. I feel a bit sorry for Isco. He was he was given an extremely difficult job, wasn't he? And the chances of him being a success there were very slim. The squad's not great and he's having to pick up the pieces after Dan Moore's departure. But having said that, they're playing so badly. He's had a few decent performances, which made me think maybe he's starting to get somewhere. However, this was downright bad. And a win has felt quite a way off hasn't it I don't think it's the worst squad in the league but they're playing so poorly and it's one of the worst stops I can ever remember from a championship side Mm so I feel he's got to go if Wednesday want any chance of staying up and another reason why I feel sorry for him is because he's had to front up to the questions from the media each week for a situation which he isn't totally to blame for He's just had a shit time, really, hasn't he? But unfortunately for him, he is out of his depth. If they do sack him, I'll be extremely interested to see who they do get in next. As previously mentioned, I don't think Sean Series advertised himself as a great owner to work with, even more so with the whole Darren Moore fiasco. So let's see if this is the end for uh, Isco Munoz. But you, you had him as your first manager to be sacked, didn't you? I did. And for some reason, I was doubting myself. I thought a manager had gone already, but they haven't, which is a, an incredible feat for all championship clubs. A round of applause for all the owners so far for sticking by their guns, um, considering last year was an absolute shit show. But yeah, I had this go to, to go first. And I'm, the only thing that makes me pull, pull back on that confidence a little bit is, is Chancery's timing it's just not very good and because he's so bad at making football decisions I feel like Munoz will stay at the club until until Christmas with, with Wednesday still on one point yeah yeah well I, I, I'm i not going to disagree with you that Chancery's got a good jo- he's got a good record of doing everything wrong hasn't he <laughs> exactly. um, but you, you feel sorry for Isco as well don't you that, that's yeah, the point yeah, yeah. I was trying to get at yeah absolutely I, I still think you He's clearly a nice guy. He's well-liked by Watford fans. Well, 
mainly for his personality. And you are right, he, he has he has had to front up to some difficult questions. Each week I see the media asking him time and time again about Marvin Johnson, circumstances surrounding that. And all this guy wants to talk about is players that he's got available to him. We don't know what's happened there, but you know, he's clearly been put in a, a difficult set of circumstances with a squad that is lacking balance. Obviously, we were given the, the briefing of... Of, of Sheffield Wednesday pushing for the top six by Chancery or pushing for a playoff place by Chancery, which seems a long time ago, by the way. Um, and Isco maybe believed that himself, but the squad's just not suited to play whatever style of football he's wanting to play. I don't know what style of football it is. We've, we've coincidentally had a go at Michael Duff for not having an identity of this Swansea team. They don't have, uh, Sheffield Wednesday don't have an identity under Isco Munoz, and that's, that is down to him, but it's also down to the football decisions around him. A gigantic win for Swansea. I don't think anyone's doubting that. And I don't think we're being overdramatic if we say Michael Duff was probably gone if they didn't win this. So possibly a job-saving result for him. Is it a job-saving result or is it simply delaying the inevitable, Justin? Yeah, I don't think it's either. I don't think he would have been sacked, but I also don't think he's out of the woods yet in terms of fan frustration and, and maybe criticism from the board. You know, behind the scenes but I do like Michael Duff and I think if he can generate more consistency in performance like this then the fans will warm to him they will warm to the style of football but you are right if, if they didn't win this the pressure would have been insurmountable it would have been huge absolutely huge it would have been a difficult it would have been difficult to see him lasting too too much longer but at the same time there have been teams around him that have been struggling so points wise they're not too far off it's like, you know, four points off my table isn't a bad shout considering how poor they've been um, so far this season so yeah I don't think he would have been sacked but I, I don't think it was a job saving result but it was certainly a reputation saving result shall we say mm, I'm not sure about that I think he it would have been very hard to see him stay if they did win this one I mean from his perspective if you could handpick which game to have this weekend it would have been this wouldn't it Wednesday mm-hmm. just so poor and despite Swansea's awful form it would have been a shock if they did not win this yeah. one. So I'm, I'm not sure much has changed. If they lose their next game, I would suggest there's a strong chance he'll still go. If he's still in the job this time next month, it would be a huge surprise. And a massive salvaging job would have to happen for him to still be sticking around for me, Justin. No, that, that, that's fair. It is. It would get to a salvage job state, but we're still fairly early on in the season, so he's still got time to turn things around. And we haven't seen what they can do, Swansea can do under Duff yet. Um, and this game was a little bit of a glimpse. So they were playing into they were, you know, smart balls into space. They were they were pressing Sheffield Wednesday. It was a, a type of football that Michael Duff, we know he can achieve uh, given time. And I'll say it time and time again, he had a slow start at Barnsley last season. They were they weren't setting the world alight by any means. Um, coming to probably around about this time last season as well. So maybe a slow starter is, is his thing. He's also got to transition a style of play and embed all of his ideas into a, into a squad that experienced a very high turnover. So there's all those circumstances working against him. I think he needs probably three or four more games for us to really judge him and hopefully, as I say, he can build on this result and performance. Cause Will he get that? Though, Sorry. Will he get that though? Yeah, I think he will. I don't think the Swansea board will will make that decision just yet. I'm not as confident as you are. Michael Duff did say this week, I went to, round to the mother-in-law's house after the Cardiff game on the Sunday and she said, well, that wasn't very good, was it? Bloody <laughs> the idea of his mother-in-law giving him grief every time he loses is extremely funny to me. <laughs> um, 
let's go to Middlesbrough, <laughs> who have finally got their first win of the season after beating Southampton 2-1. We'll talk more about Borough shortly, but another loss for Southampton. Four in a row now. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Justin Peach on top of his high horse, which is actually getting higher as the weeks go by. I don't need to tell people I told you so because I did it last week. It's just more of the same, isn't it? I think you look at this game again and Middlesbrough created a lot of chances, had a lot of chances, which is frightening. Uh, I think 2-1 flat at Southampton. And again, if, you, if you're looking at a team that you wanted to play this week, uh, Middlesbrough would have been up, on, up high on that list because of how hopeless they are defensively. They do create chances, but they should have been able to... Um, at least look a, little, a lot more dangerous than they did in Southampton. They just weren't. Middlesbrough missed three really big chances, which they should have arguably put away. They didn't. And that gave that gave Southampton a little bit of hope in this game. But we're seeing mistakes happen over and over again. Mason Holgate on this occasion, making another mistake for Riley McGree's goal in possession. It doesn't have that oomph or, or, or aggression that we that we want to see from, from a team. And, and again, we're talking about cutting, I've talked about, uh, talking about cutting edge time and time again just don't think the Southampton, Southampton team have it under Russell Martin um, and it's getting to a point where we just copy I, I'm copy, I feel like I'm copying and pasting what I'm saying about Russell Martin's side because it's the same issues that occur every single week yeah it's all got a bit Pete Tong for Southampton hasn't it in fairness to them losses to Sunderland Leicester and Ipswich you can somewhat understand that because you'll do well to find a more difficult run of games than that Losing to winless Middlesbrough, though, is another thing. Yes, Middlesbrough haven't been as bad as results suggest, and they almost certainly won't be near the bottom three come the end of the season. But if you're looking for a game to get things back on track, you can't choose many better than that right now. And they should have lost by more, really. Their defending is just mind-blowingly bad. 19 19 goals conceded in eight games is appalling, whichever way... You look at it and I expected there to be a slow start for Southampton and Russell Martin just because it's such a specific style that he has. But I don't think I ever expected it to be anywhere near as slow as this. A squad as talented as this Southampton one should never be losing four games in a row, no matter who the opposition are, no matter what stage in a season. And they're not even being unlucky in games, are they? They're just playing badly. (laughs) And I think they will come good under Russell Martin, but it feels quite a way off currently. Well, how long does Russell Martin get? We're talking about Michael Duff in the time that he gets um, for Swansea. But Russell Martin's arguably, his teams have been a lot worse and given the expectation, he's performing way, 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 way below the what is necessary, I think, for Southampton to, to push on. I, I think points-wise and going forwards, they can be a top six team quite easily. But um, defensively, they're a bottom six side. And that evens out to well, you'd argue a mid-table team. And that's not where the Southampton side should be. A lot of fans told me that their summer business was 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 good because they had a big big next net spend. They made a lot of money. But I just don't see leaders being replaced. I don't see quality um, being replaced. Now, ultimately, I think that's what the issue is for Russell Martin. I don't think he's got enough leaders in his team. I don't think he's got enough bite in his midfield. I don't think he's got enough experience either. And I think that lends to the January, uh, sorry, the summer recruitment um, and the inexperience throughout the squad. There's a, there's a lot of issues there for Russell Martin and his team that I just cannot see um, improving anytime soon. I think it will improve. Mm. I, I will disagree with you there, Justin. I, we both said there would be a slow start for Southampton. We both predicted that. Admittedly, it's a lot slower than we expected, but I think it will come good. I do th- still think Russell Martin's a very good manager, even though... 
based off the past four games, it's quite difficult to justify that uh, with any degree of certainty. But it's a very talented squad. It's a very good manager. It should click at some point, but I, I'm not sure when that's going to be. Um, the last team I would want to be facing next is a rejuvenated Leeds United side, but that's exactly what they have got. If they lose five in a row, that would be pretty remarkable for a side like Southampton, whatever the context is, wasn't it? A great win for Middlesbrough and a huge one for Michael Carrick, without a doubt. It was almost as if Middlesbrough still didn't have their shooting boots on, but just created so many good chances that it had to go in a couple of times eventually. Could this be a turning point for Borough, Justin? I hope so. I really do, because you know, I have felt for Michael Carrick because of all the circumstances working against him, i.e. recruitment being slow and top targets being missed out, uh, etc., there were similar issues in this game, albeit they looked more comfortable and solid out of possession, which I guess is a step forward. They did miss an embarrassment of chances, though, again. Um, but I think the win in the three points should serve as a as a massive pickup and, and, and a massive confidence to boost the go again. I thought individuals were brilliant. Riley McGree and Isaiah Jones were fantastic. Isaiah Jones was wonderfully direct, which is exactly what you need, I think, in this team. Um, and Josh Coburn as well leading the line was, was was fantastic so there's a lot of things to pick up on Johnny Housen seems to look younger despite him getting older and again he bossed the midfield so again we talked about experience that Southampton needs someone like Johnny Housen and your team would, would go a long way to improving things and balances in that in a midfield and I thought he did that in this game as well so yeah, I think it hopefully it, it serves as a, as a as a boost for for Borough for them to to go. Um, but you know you've got to judge them on the next game. Yeah, I'm not sure about Johnny House and doing the gritty when he scored his penalty. He, he's he's mid thirties. Come on, Johnny. Um, <laughs> and as, as much stick as we have given them recently, Middlesbrough haven't been playing terribly, have they? No. If they had the shooting boots on at any point, this would have been a very different start to the season. So I like to think this will be the start of a run of form for Middlesbrough. I agree with you. Josh Coburn up front was fantastic. Didn't get on the score sheet, but offered so much more than what we've had recently. Riley McGree was in inspired form. Lewis O'Brien at left back does break my heart a little bit, but I'll let it slide. All in all, I like to think that's the slow start over and done with, but only time will tell on that front. Probably the most eye-catching result of the weekend. Plymouth 6, Norwich City 2. Paul's three-word review, Fortress Home Park, and our friends at CanaryCast have theirs. We are shite. Um, we'll talk more about Plymouth shortly, but this was a shocker from Norwich. I did pick Plymouth as my outsider for the weekend, but even then I never expected a drubbing like this. The crazy thing is Norwich had 69% possession. Mm. How? It's like <laughs> Plymouth scored virtually every time they had the ball, but Plymouth were excellent and... Norwich were a shambles. The question is, I've seen a lot of Norwich fans asking is, was this a blip or is it more than that? What do you think, Justin? It's a great question. It really is because I don't know. There's no papering over the performance. It was dreadful, especially in the first half. Plymouth pretty much wiped the floor with Norwich in the first 45. But performances for me have dropped over the last four games. I think maybe the, the, first, um, the first four games probably pulled people into a false sense of well we're definitely heading in the right direction um, and maybe you know, confidence was high and you're riding the crest of a wave etc but uh, yeah, the last four games uh, will bring you back down to earth and probably lower those expectations because I think 
Um, they have looked shaky. Uh, defending has, has been a concern, especially on the counter-attack. This game was was a highlight of that because Plymouth looked so, so dangerous every time they broke through. And with ease, it made, they made it look like the defence was pulling cart horses. Uh, cart horses? Carts. Cart horses. Cart horses, yeah. Um, and, and they just looked slow. They looked incredibly slow and old. They, they looked their age. It's not really something you expect under a team, uh, sorry, a team under David Wagner. But yeah, it's it's a difficult one to really assess. It's, it's about how Norwich react in the next game. And, and that's where you can probably really judge them because that first 45 was dreadful. Second half was good, but they're already 4-0 down. So really difficult to to assess you know, if Norwich are reacting. Yeah, it's like Norwich started the season and forgot about all the pre-season <laughs> concerns everyone had about them and just got on with it. And then suddenly they've been like, oh, this is going well. What were the pre-season concerns about us again? Oh, yeah, maybe they do have a point. And now their performances have dipped. And I don't think it's a surprise that it's coincided with Josh Sargent's injury. However, that does unexplained conceding eight goals in two games. Look, I, I didn't think Norwich would continue their amazing form from the first few games. I didn't think that was a sign of things to come, if I'm being brutally honest. But I also thought they were going to make my prediction of them being the biggest underachievers this season look quite foolish. And now all of a sudden I've got renewed confidence <laughs> in that prediction. Um, and I have seen a lot of Norwich fans act like this result is the end of the world. I don't think that's the case. I think Plymouth are a lot better than a lot of Norwich fans are giving them credit for. But this Norwich side that lost to Plymouth worryingly resembled the one towards the end of last season. Yeah. And that's the big concern for me. Let's talk Plymouth, though, who were incredible here, had lost four of their last five heading into this one. So perhaps this result is a bit out of the blue, but this was a showing of what they're capable of. And they're just genuinely a very good side, aren't they? Morgan Whitaker got a hat-trick and you want to talk about him, Justin. What a player. Yeah, I picked him out as one of the signings of the summer for a reason. And it's his incredible ability with the ball. I've said that his decision-making and um, being clinical in front of goal needs to improve. And uh, that was all there on show today. He showed it on so many occasions. That's why he bagged a hat-trick. He, he knows how to get into the right areas as well and, and, and really harm opposition. It was that first goal where he's just dribbling dribbling through and slots it in and sort of Angus Gunners just stood on his feet just like well what surprise that the shots come in it was fantastic it was brilliant um, and he's a player for me that I will not be actually no I'm going to make the, the, the bold statement I've, he's going to get double figure goals no he's going to hit 20 goals and assists this season um, yeah. goal contributions that's the badger and he's going to hit 20 goal contributions this season because Plymouth are going to keep creating they're not going to care what our position do and Morgan Witt is going to be a central, uh, central figure to that so for him to hit 20 20 goal contributions he's going to do it with ease yeah he's an incredibly talented player isn't he when you say 20 goal contributions are you saying the double double the double double that's a, yeah, yeah. yeah 10, that, 10 goals that's 10, the, 10 assists that's always a good indication of a player having just a remarkable season into when you get double figures for goals and assists. And I mean, so far, he's got the second most goal contributions in the league, which is a pretty frightening for someone as young as him. And, you know, one and a half million, it's worth mentioning that again. He would be ideal for a team like, I don't know, Swansea, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't to be. Um, but just daylight robbery into it. And uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant player. But look, Plymouth were absolutely excellent against Norwich. Here's worth pointing out. This was uh, the first game where they've played with three at the back. They did it throughout last season, but haven't been able to do it yet because of availability. So if this is a sign of things to come, might as well hand Plymouth the title right now. Uh, but in all seriousness, they are 
fantastic. The amount of attacking talent in that team is incredible. Morgan Whitaker, we've just spoken at length mm-hmm. about him, just a brilliant, brilliant player. The player who had the who's got the most goal contributions in the division right now is Ryan Hardy, who's had an incredible start, got a bit under the radar actually, how well he started, and not someone I don't think many people were picking out as a danger man for Plymouth this season, but has just been fantastic. Finazaz as well, a brilliant player. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch in the division, aren't they? Mainly because you can guarantee goals in their games. The number of goals and chances they're conceding is a concern, but as long as they're outscoring teams, doesn't matter. Plus, it's more entertainment for us, isn't it? Maybe switching to a back three may help solidify that defence. The difference between their home and away form is also a concern, but all in all, Plymouth have had a great start and are a much better side than I think most fans of championship teams realise. Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. They're, they're a fantastic team and we, we know what they're capable of. And it's again, it's probably about improving that away form to, to some extent for them to, to really push on. But for them to be currently sat mid-table, the one of the highest goal scorers in the league, it's not really a surprise because they attack without any due care. They are absolutely bonkers in terms of their approach to their attacking play. And I think that sort of mentality, you need that. You need that fearlessness, especially when you're coming up from League One. And if they carry on doing it, they're going to score a lot of goals. They're going to concede a lot of goals as well. But like you said, if they're the division's entertainers for their first season back in the Championship for however many years, they won't care as long as they survive and, and thrive, which is what they're doing now. Absolutely. Leeds won again. They beat Watford 3-0. Tom's three-word review here for Leeds on a roll. And they certainly are, aren't they? The second time in a week where I've got to say it was a bit scary how good Leeds United were. One player in particular who stood out was Jorginho Ruta, who, for me, genuinely had one of the best games you'll see from an individual player all season. Basically made two of the goals happen and was just causing Watford all sorts of problems. He could have a YouTube compilation made for himself based off of this game alone because he was just remarkable and... As we all know, it's taken a while for him to show why Leeds spent 30-odd million on him. And I think Leeds fans have been wondering for quite some time why they spent 30-odd million on him. But now we're starting to see that player who costs so much money. And my, oh my, does he look a player. But we know he's got quality, don't we? He's, he's, He's got it in abundance and he's showing it on several occasions but he's offside goal I thought he took really well as well Um, because it was straight on the spin into the bottom corner it was so quickly and again it just highlights the quality that he's got he's a top player he's a fantastic player and I think he's a player who can really thrive as long as Leeds thrive Um, because that that, that front front line at times was so frightening and Rutter being central to that you you still got to remember Patrick Bamford's injured you know did he come back into that team especially with Joel Pirro and Ruta performing as well as they are I doubt it because they're they're certainly a more dynamic front two Uh, and Ruta just had so much more poise and passing ability and link up play and the ability to to finish and be in the right spot um, when he needs to be as well he's he's an intelligent player who probably just needed the confidence it was probably you know how often did January moves work out especially for big money it didn't, and Sam Allardyce dropped him from the squad, which wouldn't have helped. But Fark has shown the faith, and he's um, he's getting his rewards. Yeah, and he's fully embraced the step down a level, hasn't he? And he could have down tools, forced a move like so many others have at Leeds, but it's looking like this is exactly what he needed, and it is thrilling to watch. Leeds are very awake now, aren't they? The beast isn't sleeping anymore. Still only the three wins. Feels like they've won more, but still in the playoffs. The last two victories have been 
a bit frightening, haven't they? How good Leeds have looked. Well, exactly. I was surprised to see that it was their first home league win in nine games as well. Um, and I think Daniel Farker being happy with the clean sheet tells you of the standard that he wants from his team as well. They've only lost one game and it just show you that they are a difficult side to break down. Um, it's just about finding that balance and, and getting those <laughs> that abundance of talent. I, I completely forgot Jaden Anthony was there until he, until he scored. And it's like, Oh my God, you've got Jaden Anthony as well. It's just ridiculous. There's so much quality in that in that forward line and there's experience and leadership throughout. Again, you comparing him to Southampton, I think Leeds have got the better squad um from those teams coming down, you know, aside from Leicester. So yeah, it's it's ticking along. It's it's the pieces are coming together slowly. I still don't think they're they're there properly just yet. Um, but they are slowly linking together and once they once they fully do, ooh, yeah, that is dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. And I imagine a lot of Leeds fans will not have forgotten that we had them outside the top six in our pre-season predictions. They're more than welcome to tease us for that. In our defence, that was before they signed the likes of Joel Pirro, Jaden Anthony, amongst others. And as ridiculous as it was losing as many players as they did over the summer, they've actually had a brilliant window yeah. purely because of who's coming through the door. I mean, Piro could score a ridiculous number of goals this season, but then Root has come to life. Someone who it's easy to forget for Leeds is Dan James, who's been tremendous recently and is another one who seems to be appreciating the step down and another one who deserves a shout out who you wouldn't necessarily expect to deserve a shout out is Sam Byron, who's <laughs> playing his best football since the last time he was at Leeds. Um, so... They're starting to really get up and running and are very much in the promotion race, aren't they? They've got to do some catching up on uh, the likes of Leicester and Ipswich. I think they're eight points behind at uh, the time of recording, but you wouldn't put it past them just because of how dangerous they have suddenly looked all of a sudden. Uh, from a Watford perspective, Nicholas's three-word review, outplayed and outfought. Nine points from eight games for Watford the kind of form which is fully deserving of a new contract, isn't it, Justin? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, like I said, as long as Ishmael stays the length of the season, I'm not bothered how long his contract is. But um, yeah, maybe maybe they've just uh, you know, asked for that envelope back, the Watford owners, after that performance. Um, I, I do think it's worth noting that it's not the end of the world for Watford. Leeds are just, like you've said on many times, a beast. And once that beast awakens they will roll many a teams over and Watford unfortunately were the um were the, were, were the team that got, got rolled over uh, on this occasion they, they you know they conceded a lot of chances that's absolutely fair and, um didn't create too too much themselves but uh, I don't think it's the end of the world for Ishmael and and Watford I know a lot of Watford fans on especially on Twitter of or X whatever you want to call it have um have reacted harshly to the performance and that's absolutely fine and natural um but leads they're a, they're a different they're a different beast um especially especially going forward to the players that they got and there's still a lot of time for for Watford I think to blend together there will be teething problems big high turnover of players um but stick with Ishmael I I think it will come good yeah I mean nine points from eight games isn't spectacular by any means is it but I've seen enough from Watford to see that Sticking with Ishmael is the right thing to do. I don't really know what the expectations are from Watford fans this season. I don't think anyone was expecting anything too special. But in terms of starting over again, they've got to stick with Ishmael. I wasn't a massive fan of the appointments and I'm still not overly convinced by it. But 
the best thing for Watford will be to actually stick with a manager. Um, I wouldn't go out handing new contracts to him after eight games. <laughs> <laughs> um, a three-year contract is completely fine, so maybe just stick with that. Um, but I think I would agree with you. I think a lot of Watford fans have uh, lost their heads a bit recently and... I don't think an itchy trigger finger is the right direction to go in uh, on this particular occasion. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Ipswich and Leicester. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. There was a seven-goal thriller at Portman Road as Ipswich beat Blackburn 4-3. Kong King's three-word review for Ipswich was McKenna's Great Entertainers. I will admit, this is a scoreline which flatters Blackburn, I think it's fair to say. Ipswich had 29 shots here. That must be the most this season, mustn't it? 11 were on target. So a busy day at the office for Ainsley Piers. But it's another in for Ipswich as their brilliant start continues. 21 points from a possible 24 and someone who's really stood out for me in an Ipswich shirt so far is Nathan Broadhead Justin he's been excellent and I remember last season at Wigan feels like a very long time ago but he was at Wigan he was very in and out of a team which ultimately went down and he just looks a completely different player to the one that we saw this time last year yeah I completely forgot he was at Wigan (laughs) (laughs) nearly nearly did I (laughs) But yeah, this is the thing. He's always been a good player. Sometimes it's just system. Sometimes it's the manager you play under. Um, his fitness record has always been a little bit sketchy. But since he's been at which he's been fine. He's got four goals in eight games this season, which is which is a really good return for a, an attacking midfielder slash second striker. He got eight in nineteen last season again, which is an incredible incredible record. But he ticks everything. Uh, he ticks all the boxes, doesn't he? In terms of what you want from a, a an attacking player who comes alive in around the box. He's technically brilliant. His link-up play is fantastic. And he's a player you want in your team because he's flexible. He can play centrally on the right, on the left, or he can drift is essentially what I'm trying to say. And he's lively as well. And he's got that quality. And he, I mean, he's got showed it here. Um, and he's, he's scored several quality goals already this season. He's a, he's, a, he's a good player and probably one that's been underrated by, by us um, so far this season because of the players you just naturally drift towards them but yeah fantastic player and a really good weapon for McKenna to use because of his ability in around the box yeah 
that right foot is a weapon. It is explosive. When he's shooting from distance, it is a, it is something to be wary of. But I think I'm right in saying that last season he had the, or at least he was quite high up in the expected assists chart, mm. which I wouldn't have necessarily associated with him considering he's traditionally a striker who's playing now as kind of a winger. So you wouldn't have expected that, but he's just been brilliant so far. Works his socks off as well. He has been a big reason as to why Ipswich have had the excellent start that they have had. And uh, hopefully it continues. I mean, the amount of talent they have in the attack, in that front three now of Broadhead, Chaplin, Hutchinson, um, possibly someone else I'm forgetting George about Hurst. as well. George Hurst. Well, I was thinking more of, oh, the, kind of the, like, the attackers, yeah, not yeah. the actual striker. But you see my point. Um, there's a lot of talent in there now and it's all just coming together very nicely for Ipswich. In the Nigel Pearson derby, Leicester beat Bristol City 1-0 thanks to a Jamie Vardy penalty. What a penalty as well. That was unbelievable. Uh, 1-0, a bit of a flattering scoreline for Bristol City. They did not offer much here. I did enjoy Vardy going over to the Bristol City fans and going or going full Jamie Vardy with his celebration of uh, basically one finger to the ear, you know, classic vards um justin it's probably way too early to call this but i don't know about you i'm starting to see a bit of a top three for me ipswich leeds leicester i'm not sure what order it'll be in however for me i think those three are quite a way ahead of everyone else what do you think i, I was writing my notes and i wanted to find a way to disagree with you just to stick it in a little bit, create a little bit of a debate um, and, and tease you for your obsession with Ipswich Town. But it, it was, it, looking at it uh, logically, it was really hard to find holes in that um, in that top three. Really, really is difficult. I mean, Leicester were winning games earlier on in the season, despite not being great. They were okay, but they weren't great. Now they're looking great. Naturally, you expect them to, to kick on, especially with the quality they've got in the team. Leeds are hitting a gear. Um, the only team I'm not 100% sure on is, is Ipswich. I think naturally uh, you expect a drop off um, for a team coming up from, from League One, only because of how rare it is for a team to win promotion, then win promotion again. You know, how often does that happen? Two, two times in the last uh, 15 years? Not an ordinary team to get promoted, though, are they? Exactly. I think that's the thing. They're not an ordinary team. They are incredible. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they do. Uh, it just, as you say, just depends what order. If, if I was to hazard a guess an order now, I'd go South, um, not Southampton, Leicester, Leeds and, and Ipswich, because I had Ipswich third, I think, in my predicted table. So, or, or, or fourth, or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to make an argument against that, that top three, especially at this moment in time. Yeah, I'm... I would probably put Leicester top still um, for me. Um, I just think the quality they've got uh, is too much for this division. But I I was exactly the same. I was looking at that top three and thinking, is there anyone I'm forgetting here? And there are a few teams who you could say otherwise about my theory. Sunderland are an obvious one, but I think the other three just have more than them. Coventry and Southampton are two more, but their slow starts may cost them dearly. Ultimately, Leicester have too many players who I would class as ridiculously good. Leeds have looked frighteningly good recently. Ipswich are just so efficient. And a lot can obviously change very quickly in this division. But those three, they're the clear front runners for me mm-hmm. now. Preston didn't win this weekend. The frauds, they drew 1-1 away at Rotherham. Rotherham had three shots and recorded an XG of 0.1. 
That is outrageous. <laughs> Preston have ridden their luck a bit in this winning in this winning <laughs> run. I think that's fair to say, but ironically, didn't win in the one game where they were clearly the better side. Jordan Hugo scored against his former club because, of course, he did. Rotherham have dropped down to 23rd despite this result by virtue of Middlesbrough and Swansea both winning. Justin, I struggle to comprehend Rotherham United. They've got five points and they're lucky to have that many. Statistically, they've been abysmal. They've had 51 shots, by far the fewest in the division, and faced 128, which is the second most. They've got the lowest expected goals for by some distance and the highest expected goals against. But then, even with the eye test, you can see they're not a great side based off what we've seen so far. No, and you'd expect that. Well, their home form has naturally been good for the last uh, year and a bit. They've been in a championship, but they looked completely second best against Preston in this game and they look second best in most of the home games so far that they've had I, I I don't know what to say about Rotherham I've not already said I don't think the squad's good enough and Rotherham fans will disagree I think they've been second best in most of their games so far Rotherham fans will disagree yes they've been on the end of some some sketchy refereeing decisions but it's not that's not a reason or a justification for why they've been playing so poorly uh, or creating so little chances Jordan Hugo is a is a lonely figure, I think, in in that final third. Um, there's just not enough in that team to make me stand up and go, you're going to stay up comfortably. Not right now, anyway. January could be different, like it was last January. They they recruited really well. But, yeah, this Rotherham team is, is poor. It's really, really poor, and it's not improving. The last three games have been remarkably bad. Remarkably bad. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than they've been shit. They've st- they're still shit. They've been shit for most of the season. It's that's it. It's plain and simple. Yeah, and that's the main reason why I think the fact that they've got five points is pretty remarkable in itself because I just don't think they've deserved that many. And it does it does feel like we're just constantly kicking Rotherham, but I don't have anything to be encouraged about with them because they're just not playing that well. And the tactic just seems to be Let's cross it into Jordan mm. Hugel and hope it hits his head. I mean, he scored a brilliant goal <laughs> in goal. this game. But is that what they're relying on? Just something brilliant like that or a hopeful cross into the box? It's, it's not great. And if they... I think Rotherham fans will disagree with us because obviously they are. We're criticising their team. But even the most ambitious Rotherham fan must admit, if they continue to play like they have done for the remaining 38 games, they've got no chance of staying up. It's worth adding as well that their, their good start last season under Paul Warren up until he left was the, was a was a massive, massive, um, not a reason, but a huge 60-70% contributing factor as to why they stayed up because their run um, sort of in between October and, and the end of January under Matt Taylor was, was really poor. They did pick up eventually with those new signings in January um, but their, their good start was what really helped them last season to stay in the division they've not got off uh, not got off to a good start this season so they're going to have to pick up it sooner or later and what we've sample um, data sample we've had so far in terms of games is just there's no room to see that happening no, definitely not. Hull are unbeaten in seven now after a 3-1 win away at Stoke on Sunday afternoon. They're in the top six after this result. And I'm enjoying Hull City right now, Justin. Liam Mazzinia is cooking, isn't he? 
Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, you don't need to get me too excited about Hull City because I've been excited all season about them. They're fantastic. Possession-based Hull scoring twice as well with two long balls in the first half was <laughs> was, uh, was 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 funny. It's, uh, two goals that Tony Pulis would have been delighted with. Um, but they were measured passes. I don't think you can take anything away. And as well as that, my criticism of the Ryan Allsop signing, well, not criticism, but scepticism. Um, I, I mean, he was man of the match in this game. He's got Sky's man of the match and he was, he was a... a, a, a a good asset for that, for that team and obviously the second goal came from his lovely quarterback like pass into into space for Aaron Connolly but the whole team the whole collective was great Regan Slater was fantastic once again a player that is so undervalued in this division he's fantastic Aaron Connolly's doing what you need from a high energy forward Tyler Morton his passing was superb I thought the defence uh, Greaves and Jones looked a bit shaky at times but they dealt with the physical battle especially when Wesley came into the team there's just a lot of positives there for Hull to take from this game. And it's not it's not a fluke either. They are a very, very good side with some really good depth. Um, Jaden Philogene, again, was was fantastic as well. It's, it's cooking nicely. Rossini is getting the, the plaudits he deserves. And this Hull team can go a long way if they carry on. Yeah, if you smell what Rosie is cooking. Um, <laughs> the most impressive thing for me from this was it was a showing of the strength in depth. Hull yeah. could afford to drop Scott Twine and Liam Delap to the bench, and they still won comfortably. Granted, they haven't got the depth of a Leeds or a Leicester, but it's very impressive for a side like them. But seven unbeaten, they've had some tricky games in that time as well. It's not like it's been a, an easy run. And I get the feeling that this is something special which is happening at Hull. And it may not necessarily pay off this season, but with Liam Rosini at the helm, the sky's the limit, is a He's a brilliant young coach with so much potential. That's one of the reasons why it was puzzling that there were rumours about him potentially getting sacked towards the end of last season. But keep the faith in him and I could see Hall going places with him in charge. An 87th minute winner from Mark McGuinness saw Cardiff win 1-0 away at Sunderland. Couldn't watch this game because of stupid rules. Um, so we've only been able to go off what, uh, <laughs> what um, different accounts have said. But it's a very much a snatch and grab win by all those accounts. The goal was Cardiff's first shot on target. Um, so less said, the better on that, I think. Um, but Sunderland's home form is something to be concerned about, I think, isn't it? It's only 30 points at home last season that they won, which is less than they won away from home. Mm. They were 16th in the home league table last season. And I just found that a bit puzzling, Justin. You'd have thought... 44,000 people at Sunderland each week, the biggest attendance in the championship week in, week out. You'd have thought it would be a bit of a place to fear for away teams, but just isn't the case for some reason. Home form is still an issue. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a fact that it's not a place to fear. I do think it's a uh, an intimidating uh, venue for, for teams to go to. I just think it might be the same for some of the home players as well. Got to remember, Sunderland are an incredibly young squad. One of the youngest squads in the league, or maybe the second youngest squad in the league behind Blackburn or the, their level. Um, needless to say, it's a very young squad and that might play into it. They might be not intimidated by the atmosphere and the expectation, but it might get the better of them sometimes. Um, there might be elements of that. I don't think it's a case of they are playing poorly. They're just not capitalising when they need to. And that might be there might be a variety of factors and you know, the, 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 the size and the size and noise of the stadium might be playing against them, but it shouldn't do. It, it shouldn't do, and it should be rectified very quickly by Tony Mowbray because if they don't, 
it could hold them back. Um, it could hold them back for, for fulfilling whatever their objectives are. Cause it, it looked like it might be the case last season. Yeah, I think the lack of a experienced striker will certainly be one of the mm-hmm. factors you can point out for that. Um, young Mason Burstow has only just come into the team, twenty years old. I think he's on loan from Chelsea, and so um, it's going to take time for him to prove that he's the man that they need up top and losing someone like Roster is obviously a huge, huge blow. And that's been a sticking point for Sunderland all season, not having, well, <laughs> last year really, hasn't it? Mm. Not having another striker um, hasn't phased them too much, but it's games like this where you think if they did have a striker, then it could have been a very, very different result. West Brom nil, Millwall nil, Al's three word review for Millwall. Same old shit. Um, if there was ever going to be a game that was a goalless draw, I think uh, this one had it written all over it, didn't it? And Birmingham v QPR ended goalless as well. The most incredible moment in this game was a goal line clearance by Sam Field. Mm. That was absolutely exceptional. The final game of the weekend is Darren Moore's first game in charge of Huddersfield away at Coventry. That's on Monday night. We'll talk about that game in Thursday's episode. But in the meantime, let's talk about that appointment right now. Yes, it's time for the news and Darren Moores have been officially announced as the new Huddersfield manager. It's after the departure of Neil Warnock. He signed a three-year deal, uh, or three-year plus deal, apparently, according to the club, whatever that means. Um, I think I'd be more confident of them staying if Warnock was still in charge, if I'm being brutally honest, Justin. But more is certainly more of a long-term answer than his predecessor, isn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, age-wise just tells you that. And you are right, Neil Warnock's a godlike figure, so of course you'd be more confident in Huddersfield staying up under him. But if you're looking at the boxes that needed to be ticked with this appointment, um, or, or whoever they would have gone with, they, I think they've ticked every single one with Darren Moore. Tactically, I think he's more flexible than people give him credit for. He's happy to use a variety of formations. He can operate in tight, tight circumstances, given his successes with Doncaster and Sheffield Wednesday in League One. Um, I think most notably as well, he repaired the relationship of Wednesday fans with the club before Chantiri fucked it again. Um, uh, so uh, as for options that were out there, Darren Moore was among the best. And I'm well behind it. I love Darren Moore. I think he's an incredible, incredible man. And I think he's a, a an underrated and under undervalued manager. And you're looking at how poor Wednesday are at the moment. I think that's just a, a testament to how, um, how, how well he does in a fractured environment. Really made me laugh then when I was having a swig of water, <laughs> um, which I didn't appreciate. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I think whatever happens this season, say Huddersfield get relegated, I still think they should stick with Darren Moore just because I think the long term answer is him. You look at what he did at Wednesday before you quite rightly said Chancery fucked it, um, was just remarkable. And the way he got the club together and made it. He made Sheffield Wednesday a fun place to be again, didn't he? Which it hasn't been previously and isn't again now. Um, So um, I think he can make that the case at Huddersfield. And I I mean, I've said it before anyway, as far as nicest blokes in football go, I think Darren Moore's highly regarded in that case. And I hope he is a success. At Huddersfield. Um, will it be the case? I'm not too sure because I do think that squad is very much lacking in many areas. But if he can get a good field atmosphere going at the club, then 
anything's possible. Sunderland goalkeeper Anthony Patterson has signed a new contract to keep him at the club until 2028. Was being linked with a move away in the summer, but he's a very highly rated keeper and is a very good goalkeeper at that as well, isn't he, Justin? Yeah, he's progressed brilliantly over the last 12 months, especially at Championship level. He's only been in the Sunderland first team since midway through the 21-22 season, so that goes to show I mean, how, how trusted he is. Um, and again, when we're talking about inexperienced teams, Sunderland obviously have one of the most, well, the young, one of the youngest average ages in the, in the championship. It's always difficult when you're bringing through a young goalkeeper, but Patson stood up to it. He stood up to the challenge and he's, and he's thrived. Yes, there are mistakes in him, but he's young, he's learning. Um, so credit to the the well, the managers, Alex Neal and, and Tony Merriby for showing faith in him because it's quite easy to drop a young, uh, a young stopper, but Patterson's risen to the challenge time and time again. Yeah. He is a top, top goalkeeper. Coventry's new £4 million signing, Milan van Ekwijk, faces a long injury layoff after picking up a thigh injury. Mark Robbins has revealed the wing-back has suffered a significant tear to his quadriceps. He said it's not looking good and doesn't know how long he is going to be out for. And it's a real shame because I've actually yeah. really liked the look of him when I've seen him play for Coventry and £4 million as well. Coventry, before this summer, haven't spent very heavily, have they? So when they've gone out and you know, spent so much money on a player for him to be out injured for a long time so early on in his career. Mm. Bit of a blow, isn't it? So yeah. hopefully he's not out for too long. Craith Cathcart has announced his retirement. The former Watford defender, amongst other clubs, only signed for KV Kortrijk in Belgium a matter of weeks ago, but says his enthusiasm and motivation to play wasn't what it was. But Courtright were chuffed with that. He was a good player, though, wasn't he, Justin? Yeah, he's a great player, great servant. Shame he's decided to retire. Perhaps not a glowing endorsement of life in Belgium. It's neither France, Germany or Holland, I guess, is it? But um, Belgium's quite nice. I've never been, I can't say. But what is a selling point for Belgium? It is a question. France has great breakfast. Germany's got great train system. And the Netherlands has fries and mayonnaise. What does Belgium have? Chocolate. Is that just a fad, though? Is it actually Belgian chocolate? What on earth are you talking? Or is it just a, is it just a, a brand term? This chocolate's from no. Belgium because it's nowhere near cocoa beans. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. How the hell have we got onto this from talking about Craig Cathcart <laughs> so quickly? Um, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question is regarding my top three of Ipswich, Leeds and Leicester. Does, does the listener agree that that is going to be the top three come the end of the season? Yes or no? You said yes, didn't you, Justin? I, said, I did say yes, yeah. 44% of people said yes, 56% of people said their own no. Um, asked others for their suggestions. Cardiff, what? <laughs> um, Preston, um, Coventry. I'm not sure people are being sensible here. Um, <laughs> Coventry, I could see challenge for it, no. to be honest, but the slow start is a bit concern in that regard. Is Darren Moore a good appointment for Huddersfield, yes or no? Yes, obviously. Duh. Yeah, I think it's a good appointment. 77% of people said yes, 23% said no. And finally, which popcorn do you prefer, salted, sweet or a mix? I mix it. I love a mix. If you like mixed popcorn, you need your hard drive checking. Um, <laughs> I'm a sweet man all day. 39% uh, of people said sweet, 35% said mix, 26% uh, said salted. I yeah. hate salted Just popcorn. I hate it so much. Pure salted popcorn's dangerous because... You just dehydrate within five minutes and just pass out. That's incredible that people like it. 
No, I don't get it at all. But well, you like it mixed. Yeah, like. I love it mixed. Love it mixed. So it's a good balance. Sweet and salt is a, a nice a nice balance. Considering you like sweet salted popcorn so much, you should really get your teeth checked more often than you do. I, I love popcorn. Went to the cinema the other day. Did you watch, do you, um, what's the film called? Dumb Money. You heard about that? Uh, no, I haven't. It's um, it's kind of similar to The Big Short. It's good. It's about um, the, uh, what they called GameStop. The oh, whole GameStop yeah, okay. thing that yeah, happened yeah. on uh, Reddit a few years ago. It was about that. It was really, really good. I highly recommend it. Um, but I had loads of popcorn there. I haven't read out the bloody polls, ever, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> so the answers to the poll, or the results of the poll, rather, 39% said sweet. Have I read this? Yes, you did read it. <laughs> I did read it. Yeah. Ignore me. It's time for this. <laughs> Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. What a shambles. Now it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. I'm going to ask Justin. Actually, Justin's going to ask me. And then eight of a certain subject. It's getting, it's gone from bad to worse, isn't it? We just wrap this up as soon as possible. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down. Newcastle, that's another down. But if I were then to say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is get all eight answers without losing all my lives. How many lives am I getting, Justin? I'm going to give you one. You should get wow. these. You should get these. Yeah, but you've said that before yeah. and it's been dubious. So <laughs> hit me with the question, please. Obviously, there are a lot of managerial changes last season, 21 to be exact, from 15 different clubs. Very, very busy. And we're probably close to the first one of this season, not naming names. Can you name the eight managers who were appointed midway through last season who are still in the job this season? We're excluding the managers who are now not in the championship. So Rob Edwards, for example. Yeah, that seems simple enough. Okay, then. So there's eight? There's eight. Uh, is Rob Edwards one? No, so we're excluding the managers who are now not in the championship. So Rob Edwards. Oh, not in the championship. Rob Sorry, Edwards, right. Sean I'm Maloney. With you. I'm, blah, with you. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Alex Neal. Correct, one. Um, David Wagner. Correct, two. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Mowbray. Correct, that's three. Um... How has my brain completely forgotten every single championship club? Because it's Simon Grayson getting in your ear. It is. It is Simon Grayson, that bloody bastard. Um, <laughs> I have completely forgotten yeah. everyone. Yeah. Hang on. Let, let me just go through. I can't. I, I'm struggling here. Incredible. I really shouldn't be. The, the um, confidence and cockiness you, of you. I know, because it just this. seems so obvious, but suddenly I've forgotten all clubs. Uh, Matt Taylor. That's correct. That's four. So you've got. Mowbray, Wagner, Taylor, and what was the other one you got? Um, Neil. <laughs> yeah, Alex Neil. I didn't want to give you it again because I gave you one. Um, Liam Mazzinia. Correct. That's five. Ah, Carlos Corberan. That's right, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. It's correct. Yeah. Don't play mind games with me. So. <laughs> um, two more. Yeah. Ainsworth, Gareth Ainsworth. Yeah. Got one more. Oh, this is... Uh, I, I cannot think of clubs. Is it, always, is it, is it really obvious? I'm not going to give you a clue. You've got one life. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Michael Carrick. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. That was just a memory test, really, yeah. of just remembering who was actually who's actually in the championship as opposed to remembering when they were appointed. That, that was just painstaking. When I scrolled through the list, it was mad. Because obviously, Huddersfield started with Danny Schofield. That seems a long time ago. 
This time last year. seems a long Incredible. time ago when you think about who was in charge last season. I mean, it's mad to think Alex Neal was at Sunderland this time last year or maybe just a couple of months mm. off. But you see my point. It, it just seems a long time ago, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. But that's uh, that's time. It goes by. It goes by quickly. You're right. What a philosophical end to the second tier <laughs> podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about all the games coming up next weekend. We'll also talk about the Coventry Huddersfield game. Of course, Darren Moore's first game in charge in Thursday's episode as well. So we look forward to bloody seeing you then. This has been the second tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a huge thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.